and good evening, everyone. This is Kevin Finkel back with our sixth episode of Magic the Final Frontier. On this podcast, we discuss Frontier, the non-rotating magic format that plays cards from 2015 onward. Our hope in this podcast being the number one online source for Frontier lovers, keeping you up to date with what is new, powerful, and interesting in the world of Frontier. I'm joined today by my co-hosts, Matt Murday, the Frontier Grinder from Toronto, Ontario, and Kevin Hanlon, format expert and host of the Untap Open League. How are you guys tonight? Doing great. Doing awesome. All right, well, on tonight's show, we're going to be looking into Tribal's place in Frontier, with lots of examples that are good, fun, or both. We'll also be taking a look at how Ixalan has affected the format with the most played new cards and the Planeswalker rule change. So, all right, guys, it's time to move on to our first section of the day, which is going to be Frontier. I think this is going to be something really fun, be a little bit of move away from our usual pure competitive nature. So coming out of Commander 2017 and Ixalan, I want to talk with you guys about Tribal decks in Frontier. So there's actually a really important reason why I want to talk about this, and it's because of Standard. Tribal decks are, by design, not very good in Standard, and it's actually something that Mark Rosewater has talked about. So the reason why Tribal decks aren't very good, usually, is because the deck is so solvable. If there's a Tier 1 Tribal deck, it's very clear that I just take all the best werewolves, put them together in one Tier 1 deck, and boom, you solve the format. They usually include just enough Tribal support for like a Tier 2, Tier 3 deck for those Timmy players, but they don't really care about having a tournament-level deck of tribal things, but that means that there's usually just enough cards to make players like me disappointed who want to build a tribal strategy. So the reason I want to talk about tribes today is because Frontier has a great opportunity to mend those bridges, build decks across what Watsi planned out for Standard. In Standard, the Origins Elves had just rotated out when Kaladesh came in, and like the goblins on Zendikar and M15, they don't get to play in one deck, but in Frontier we are able to make those decks. So that's why I think it's really exciting that Frontier has this opportunity. And we've already seen some of these tribal decks come into play. So I know I'll be kicking and screaming to get you guys to talk about a deck which isn't totally competitive, so I'm going to play a little game with you guys of this or that. I'm going to give two tribes, and I want you guys to discuss which of the tribes you think is more viable in Frontier and why. You guys ready? Absolutely. Let's do it. Coming out of Exelon, let's go with the biggest one there. The two big tribes there, there were Dinosaurs and Pirates. Do you think that either of them has a tribal deck that we might be able to support in Frontier? Hmm... Outlook bleak, especially for dinosaurs. I think eventually we could see a pirate deck uh, take off because it does have a fair number of, like, you know, efficiently costed creatures. I think Carrie's Ev's really underplayed and really strong in general. Uh, but I think we're, we're just not there on the number of cards needed to really make a deck work for pirates especially. And there's low synergy between most of the pirates. Yeah, there's not very many pirate lords that don't seem great. So you mentioned Carrie Zev, that's the 1-3 menace legendary creature that creates the 2-1 monkey when she attacks. We've seen it a little bit in red aggressive strategies, but not with specifically tribal pirate support. Yeah, I think we'll probably see her in, in a humans list at some point when red gets some uh, key human card to really make it take off. I, I think it's just a good card. Two mana, 3-4, has evasion. So... I would say right now a lot of the pirates that we would consider using are commons, and I know that that it might seem like a silly reason to write off a card, but a lot of the power level that comes out of value creatures happens to be based on their rarity. And there are uncommon and rare pirates right now, but a lot of them are more expensive, and so what we really need to see in order for the tribe to really thrive in Frontier would be a bit of a lower curve. So what do you think you would build pirates around right now if you were to try to build a pirate deck? 
If I really, really wanted to go hard, I would probably do it around Admiral Becky Brass. She's three colors. She costs four. And her second ability is very bizarre. No one in any format that I've seen so far can really pinpoint how they're going to accomplish getting three pirates to successfully connect. So yeah, she's the one that gives plus one, plus one to all of your other pirates. And if you, at the end of your turn, if you dealt damage to a player with three or more pirates that turn, I believe just combat damage with three or more pirates that turn, you can take control of any non-land permanent they own. Right, but it does require you to deal the damage to a player. Yeah, so that that's difficult. That's a that's a big. It's a big ask. Yeah, it seems a lot very win more because if they don't have the creatures to block you, you don't. They're not going to be able. You're not going to be able to steal anything from them anyway, right? So kind of. It's also kind of underwhelming that because she's legendary, you can't stack that anthem effect. Something that I really like in Constructed is being able to stack my anthems. Like, you can do that in Mono White Humans with your Always Watchings. And yeah. you can only have one Admiral Beckett Brass out on the field at a single time, so... That makes sense. So your only real way to have another kind of anthem effect might be Metallic Mimic, which hasn't proved very great. Actually, why don't we talk about Metallic Mimic for a second? Because I think that we'll bring it up. It's in every single one of these tribes. But is it a card that you guys have seen much success with? Because personally, I have not. No, I haven't. I haven't seen a compelling reason to play it. I've tried it a couple times, and it's been very underwhelming. One card, or a couple cards I do want to touch on. I can't recall the names of them, but I know Pirates got a few really important Pirates Matters spells, like instants and sorceries. Is it the... There's a board wipe that's one-sided for Pirates. Can anyone remember what it's called? Yeah, there's the one that deals two damage to all creatures that aren't pirates. That's in an instant, so it's basically Kozilek's return, but it's going to be one-sided. We've also got the, the bounce spell that bounces a creature of your, or well, it uh, flickers a creature of yours, and Lookout's Dispersal, which is the counter spell, and that one's actually quite strong. So that seems to be more where the strength of the tribe comes from and the synergy of the tribe comes from. Yeah, my bet would definitely be if pirates were going to be a deck, it would be on the back of the pirate spells, not the pirate creatures. Yeah, absolutely, I agree. All right, so should we leave pirates to being legacy only? <laughs> For now. <laughs> Popeye Stompy. Um, on the other side of it, guys, most rode off dinosaurs there, but I feel like I gotta defend it if no one else is going to. Sure, go ahead and entertain us, and I'll talk about <laughs> why I think you're wrong. All right. So what I've seen from testing with dinosaurs, the biggest synergy that they have isn't so much with the cards that say, hey, do you have another dinosaur, or we give this to all of your dinosaurs. One of the biggest things they have is they have synergy with Enrage. So a lot of the cards that help trigger your own Enrage are just really good cards to be playing in your deck anyways. So Walking Ballista. You can shoot off your guys to draw cards, to search for lands and put them into play. You've got Kozilek's Return, which hits like nothing in the dinosaur deck. And it's great to have it main deck, because that means you've got a, a good matchup against Atarka Red and a lot of the aggro lists. And then the last one is Dromoka's Command, which we've said is already a good card. So my big issue with that is that there just aren't enough good Enrage cards. So yeah, you do have Ripjaw Raptor, and its effect is great, absolutely, right? But the reality is that by the time you're dropping this on turn four, it has to live until the next turn before you can turn on those Dromoka's Command blowouts. And I just, a lot of the time that just doesn't happen, right? It's a, it's a big target for Fetchland Fatal Push. It just doesn't live long enough. And there's not enough synergy across the rest of the tribe or with Enrage in general uh, for, for me to really feel compelled to build this tribe. Yeah, that's one thing I want to say as well and speak to is that right now ramp is not necessarily a viable strategy in Frontier because our games end so quickly. So having a deck that just 
goes so hard on ramping to get out your avatars and your ripjaw raptors and your uh, regisaur alphas. It's really, really hard to pull off. And if you were going to ramp, there are better things to ramp into, like Eldrazi, you know? Yeah, that would be my thought as well. So the one that you skipped there, as far as ramp payoffs, is Carnage Tyrant. And to me, that seems like the go-to for your top end. And that's only at a six drop, and that completely stops on the Rise of Control decks we're kind of starting to see. As well as just being, I mean, there's no real way for a, a like Rhino deck to attack into a 7-6. I actually agree that Carnage Tyrant's pretty good. I don't think it's a dinosaur deck, though. I think that's that's just one card that you could play in a deck that had green in it. It's a nice tech for green decks against control. So the other card that you missed as far as Enrage that I did want to mention was the Ranging Raptors. So that one's the 2-3 three for 3, and whenever it's dealt damage, you get to search your library for a basic land and put it into play tapped. That that one's quite powerful, comes in a little sooner, and can even come down maybe turn 2 if you're ramping up with something like Elvish Mystic. So I'm not impressed because it's, for one, below curve. And it has the same problem that Ripjaw Raptor has, where it has to survive until the next turn to generate any value, if it generates any value at all. There's no guarantee on this generating value, right? So how are you justifying playing it as a 3-drop when you could play instead Tireless Tracker or whoever else, you know? There's just not a lot of... The payoff isn't high enough, especially when there's no other meaningful synergy behind it actually being a dinosaur. Yep, absolutely. Well, as far as Tireless Tracker, that that also doesn't give you anything if you play it on three and it dies. And as well, Ranging Raptors, if they kill it with Lightning Strike, which is one of the easier things to hit it with, that'll, that gives you payoff anyways. Or if you're just chump blocking with it, that gives you good payoff. I mean, that's true. That's true. I think the upside on Tireless Tracker is way, way, way higher. Tireless Tracker can win a game on its own. Very true. I, I don't see that possibility with Ranging Raptor. All right, so why don't we uh, wrap up this section. So dinosaurs or pirates, I want to say, if you guys had to make a deck right now, tried to play it competitively, which one would you lean towards? Probably pirates. pirates. Yeah, lower curve. 10 out of 10 times. <laughs> All right, we got two pirates. I don't know if you care about my vote, but I'm still going with dinosaurs. <laughs> All right, so the next one I'm going to move to is kind of our meta match. This one we know is a proven tribe out there. We've got humans and we've got elves. I'd like to talk about humans a little bit because I've played a lot of white weenie and I'm running Bant Humans in the Untap Open League right now, so I'd say my experience with it is pretty fresh. Thalia's Lieutenant is probably the biggest tribal payoff that we have in Frontier right now. Being able to pump a whole squad, it's amazing in the early game, because as you're playing additional humans, it's growing itself, and you always love drawing it in the late game, assuming that you have a board state, because it's pumping your whole squad. So it it allows for these huge, bursty, like, alpha strikes that are just amazing. Also, it's something that your opponent can't ignore, because it's just gonna spitball out of control, or snowball out of control. So I'm way into that card. That makes sense. Unlike the Metallic Mimic, which, which we mentioned it does give you value if it comes in after all of your other creatures. It's so easy for Metallic Mimic to die, though. Yeah, Metal- that's what I'm saying. Metallic Mimic is just <laughs> not not as good, because you can't. You have to play it first, and it just it dies, and then you're losing your value. Right, exactly. So yeah, I would, I would say that depending on however you decide to get out your Thalia's Lieutenants, that's your huge payoff for actually running a tribe as humans in Frontier right now. Yeah, and I think... There's a lot of, like, hidden human decks, like, with just splashes. 
obviously they're all going to be on the back of things like Thalia's Lieutenant, maybe Thraven Inspector. Just these really good, high-quality human cards. Thalia herself also is an obvious pick for a great which is a great card. We also have a lot of cards that people kind of forget are human, you know? If you're looking at... Um, uh, Werewolves. What's it called? Duskwatch Recruiter and Lamholt Pacifist are both human. Werewolves are one, yeah. Not what I had in mind. Uh, Mantis Rider. Mantis Rider is a human. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> I've tried to bring this up before. Yeah, I don't think we're going to get anywhere with uh, four-color humans. I've tried I've tried to pitch the idea before, and uh, Sky's shut me down, I think. I don't think four-color humans is where you want to be, but I could see a, a Jeskai human build opening up. All right, so who can hype up elves for me on the other side of this equation? I'm going to let you take this one, Matt. Really? You want me to hype up elves? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Elves have a lot of individually powerful cards. You're looking at cards like Sylvan Advocate, uh, Green Wheel Liberator, Shaman of the Pack, Dwinnin's Elite, but they all kind of do their own thing, right? There's not this like big critical mass of synergy cards, and there's no one clear card that to build around like humans have in Thalia's Lieutenant. So I think Elves kind of has this, is in a weird spot where the synergy pieces just aren't there, even though they have individually good cards. Yeah, absolutely. I'm with that. There's definitely some Tribe Matters cards from M15 that we get in Frontier. And there's always this question of, all right, do I try to reach critical mass and blow out with Shaman of the Pack? Or do I try to go wide? Elves are great at producing other elves. So you can use that awesome sack effect in Westvale Abbey in Elves, which is what our uh, resident Elves enthusiast Mars Goad has been doing when he tests Elves. But I think the the questions that are always raised are, you know, like, are you going to run Panharmonicon so that you can get additional elf tokens off of your Dwinin elites? Are you going to run Court of Calling? And if so, are you going to have some bigger things that you can cord into so that you can, you know, really get the payoff off of that ramp? You know, these questions are really, really hard for elves to answer specifically in Frontier because there's not that common goal. It's not like in Legacy where it's, I'm, I'm going to ramp into this Crater Hoof Behemoth and then mm-hmm. I'm going to hit you in the face for 28 damage. Now, the one thing I've seen that I like out of elves, kind of their Crater Hoof Behemoth for Frontier, is that they are probably the best user of Driven to Despair that I've seen. Yeah, totally. It's a great way to draw additional cards and keep gas going, and it's naturally in Frontier golgari tribe so driven to despair you have access to both sides of it just naturally by default i would agree it's definitely one of the best users of driven to despair i think well it's a matter of time before we see like a properly really good elf deck we're just not there yet because they have a f- these this kind of variety of strengths you know they they're great at going wide they're great at producing mana and then they have a few other cool little things they do, uh, like Revolt with Greenwheel Liberator or uh, Sylvan Advocate just being a super good card. But that those strengths don't kind of leverage into anything. So like Atarka Red gets to leverage its go wide behind the power of Atarka's command. You know, Humans kind of does the same thing on the back of Thalia's Lieutenant. There's no way to leverage what elves is good at right now into a win i think that the tribal synergy that people go for the most is shaman of the pack and it relies way more heavily than thalia's lieutenant would on having an existing board state 
and it impa- it doesn't impact the board in the same with the same power, right? So it, it hits right. your life total, which is great. But if you're if you're behind on board, if you can't attack into their bigger blockers, it yeah. doesn't it doesn't matter, right? Like you if you can't finish that person's life total, there's there's no point. All right, so I, the way it sounds like you guys are both very one-sided on this humans versus elves matchup. So let me throw it just a slight different way for our this or that. Humans, mono-white weenies, or bant coco? Bant coco. Mono-white humans. All right, so the other half of this, I'm going to go with elves. I want to know collected company or panharmonicon. Coco. Coco, every time. All right, I think that those are both decks we've seen, but that's fair. Uh, so we've got votes for Coco, and for humans, we've got one for Mono White, one for Coco. I'm going to go next to our next tribe face-off here. I'm going to do a little undead cage match. So zombies or vampires? And I want to know what colors, because these are both... They, they've both been tribes that have shown up in quite a few colors. In Ixalan, we have the vampires in white and black. We saw them in red in Shadows of Rannistrad. Zombies we've seen all over the place. We've seen black, we've seen blue, we've seen white. They can go a lot of ways with that. So I want to know what you guys think about these two tribes. So right now, I don't think either is particularly strong. But if I had to put my bet on one of them becoming strong in the future, it would definitely be zombies. Same. Yeah, I think zombies has a lot of really, really potent cards. The main reason we don't see zombies right now is because it really struggles in a combo. It can grind it out long games with the best of them. But it's just, it doesn't have the same speed as a lot of the other tribal decks, uh, like humans or or um, goblins, any of those kind of... The hyper-aggressive quick, ones. Yeah. It can go decently wide, and it can go decently... Uh, it has, like, decent aggressive threats, but the real pull into zombies is that kind of recursive, you-can't-get-rid-of-my-creatures kind of play style you know yeah absolutely they zombies want to grind i would say to answer your other question i would say that if i wanted to run zombies it would probably be black white zombies because white is the best color for sideboarding in frontier right now in my opinion and so i would have access to things like authority of the consoles in my sideboard for stuff like Sahili. I could get Hushwing Griffs and things, and yeah, I know that those aren't zombies and they're not getting tribal potential, but at the same time, they're silver bullets for some of the most popular decks in the meta. And one really cool thing I saw one of our Reddit users do, uh, Moosey, was she built a Abzan zombie deck where it had Coco, and then in, out of the board, she pulled uh, Rally the ancestors really the ancestors really the ancients really the ancestors yeah with the uh the white black life loss or life drain zombie yeah so so out of the board out of nowhere all of a sudden you were playing against rally it it was it was a cool twist i think in a in a meta where there's less combo we might see zombies and this card in particular uh show up a lot more and that card is time to reflect and for those of you who don't know Time to Reflect is one white mana, instant, exile target creature that blocked or was blocked by a zombie this turn. Hmm. That's nice. It's a really solid card. A one mana exile effect, like that's unheard of in Frontier, and especially because it's not like Declaration in Stone where it doesn't actually give them anything. Right, yeah. I think Zombies was on its way up at the same time that Sahili was on its way up. Unfortunately, it's the same case with a lot of decks, and they just fell to the wayside because the clear, like, 
high contender on that, and the winner of that match was absolutely Sahili Combo. So, I think the fortunate part about that is I think Control might have Sahili's number going forward. I need to test him more, but that my my tentative guess is that Control is going to be a rough matchup for Sahili going forward. Yeah, I mean, this is definitely one of the archetypical styles of meta that we would have, where we have pretty fair representation of the three major archetypes of combo control and aggro. So if if you want to get in the lane, it's probably going to be one of those three. And there's one last card I actually want to talk about for control, or not for control, for zombies, before we move on to vampires. And it breaks one of my rules of Frontier, which is don't play five drops. Ooh. <laughs> nice. But I think I think this card probably has the juice in specific decks, and that card is the Scarab God. Oh yeah, primarily because so few decks have any way to actually answer it. That's a good card, just all around. Yeah, and it's one of those cards that, sure, it may not do anything the turn they you drop it, but it's really hard to interact with. And if they don't have an exile effect, you're going to win the game basically with that card. That card will win the game. On its own. Now, as yeah, long as you're it, going, sorry, as long as you're going into blue, the one other card that I haven't found a place for yet that I want to see in zombies is that compelling deterrence, the one that returns a non-land permanent to their hand. Then, if you control a zombie, they have to discard a card. That's a card I keep wanting to see work, and I haven't seen it yet. I mean, and I think the primary reason that people would want to splash blue in zombies would be prized amalgam. If I'm not wrong, there. I, I agree with you, Sky. I think compelling deterrence does something that zombies doesn't really do well. It's kind of that tempo game, right? Whereas the, the discard isn't as important. Like, yes, you want to be able to manage uh, to trade card for card. So you're not giving yourself card disadvantage. But trading for their worst card, you know, it's it's pretty loose. It's, it's not my favorite thing to do. All right, so let's move on to vampires. All right, so going back to zombies. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm kidding. All right, let's talk about vampires. Now, vampire, vampires will be a tough one, I think, that we, we want it to be good, but there hasn't been a lot of support for it outside of maybe the Shadows block. I think that the vampires that are good stand so far in ahead of all the others that you would need to stack up in order to have a low-curve tribal deck, which is representative of what a tribal deck is, right? Is low-curve, beat out the bad guys. And Kalidus is, like, the huge vampire that everyone wants to play. He's a legend, and he's a four-drop, and he has two black pips in his casting cost, so he's really a bit difficult for multicolor decks to cast. And he has zero synergy with other vampires. Right, exactly. He, he doesn't play well with other vampires. He wants zombies out. So let's talk for a minute about what the actual tribal synergy cards are. So the one that comes out to me is the Stormkirk Condemned, the two black mana, two two, you can discard a card once per turn to give all of your vampires plus one plus one. So the biggest thing that stands out to me is vampires are red black and they're a madness deck. The yeah. real problem with that is you just end up dumping your hand and your hellbent really early in the game. Mm -hmm. Which can be fine if you just kill them before your hellbent. But the reality is that with vampires you don't have a faster clock than any of the other aggro decks in the format and you're hellbent faster than them. So it's, I just don't see the trade-off 
for having to play around this kind of awkward, clunky madness mechanic. Yep, absolutely. I'm with that as well. So in my testing with vampires, the other problem I've seen with them is that they've got good red one drops, and then their best two drop, it's two black mana. That's already really hard on the mana. And then adding Ixalan vampires, now we're looking at white-colored creatures as well. So we've got a couple new ones that are interesting. There's the Maverin Fane, who makes vampire tokens every time you attack with a vampire. That could be strong. We've got the, the Legion's Landing, the 1-1 one, one lifelink that flips into a land if you have if you attack with three or more creatures. Both of those seem like they'd be good cards, but then we're touching into Mardu colors, even further stretching the mana base of an aggressive deck. Yeah, and one thing I would say is that the most appealing white vampires to me are pretty expensive. I particularly am attracted to Bishop of the Bloodstained. As an example, I think that's the one that acts like a, uh, that acts like a, what's the one, Sun Titan. Oh yeah, so it's a, is, I think it's a five drop, and it's two, three mana, two white. When it swings, you get to bring back a creature that costs three or less. So yes, and it also has Vigilance as a 3-4. Right, so they heavily modeled this after Sun Titan. Yeah, that that's the white vampire that I'm looking at the most, and five drops are bad, so... That's the spot I'm in. It's not so much that five drops are bad as much as five drops have to be very, 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 very good. Impactful. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Well, and this guy's a three, four with vigilance for five with two white pips. So that's tough. That's tough to ask. It is a big ask. All right. So why don't we give a final word on this? You had to build a zombie deck or a vampire deck right now. Which one are you leaning towards? Definitely zombies. Zombies. But again, I think the major thing with zombies is it's a matter of time before we see a tier one zombie deck. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I don't think I don't think either deck is really well positioned at this moment. No, that's something good that you're touching on. And it's, again, a great thing about Frontier is that we keep getting new sets. They're going to keep being at the same kind of power level. We're going to see new ones added all the time. That's just going to keep getting stronger and stronger. I don't know. I don't see more zombies getting printed, Finkel. It's, <laughs> it's not a really popular tribe throughout Magic's history and... <laughs> but no, that's really a difference. We don't see that in modern. You're not going to see a new tribal deck pop up in modern because they're just you're never going to see the high power level that could impact that format like you can see in Frontier. Right, sure. And it's like when we did our Ixalan set review, Matt and I were both taking a look at specific decks and what impact this two drop and this spell and this and this, what impact those could have on that deck possibly pushing into the meta again. Mm-hmm. Matt, did you have anything more to say about either of these tribes? Uh, not particularly. I think I think Zombies has a few really good like synergy pieces that that are primed to take the decks or the deck to the next level, and it's just it's not quite there yet. All right. So the next one, I've got a good one. Uh, well, you know, let me recap one more time. Both of you guys went with Zombies there, but the next one, I've got a good one. We've got two types that were previously seen as frontier decks at, during kind of the birth of the format. We have goblins and we have dragons. Mm, love it. Really? You think dragons were a top tier deck? I don't know if top tier, but I definitely saw them in tournaments. I definitely saw them. I swear I've seen at least one top eight on them. Probably a control version of the deck more than the like version with Kolagon and a whole bunch of artifacts. But I think I've seen that too. Yeah, there was in the early format, there was a black red dragon deck. There was Esper dragons doing pretty well, and then people were doing hard control with Grixis dragons. So it's definitely something that was pretty hot at the beginning of the metagame, at least in terms of brewing and what people were trying out. 
And because it was a Brewers format back then, it was something that everyone wanted to try because Dragon Lords are back. Wow, cool. Oh, neat. And that was before we even saw the uh, the new five drop dragon, who was pretty good. Oh, you mean Glorybringer? Yeah, Glorybringer, absolutely. So why don't we talk real quick about what the payoff cards are? We're starting with dragons, it sounds like. What are some of these tribal synergy payoff cards in the different colors that dragons show up? So the big one that I that always comes to mind for me, especially when I'm starting to build a deck that has dragons, is Salumgar's Scorn. In my opinion, it remains the best counterspell in the format, and so if you can reach that critical mass of dragons, which is really hard to pull off and really hard to push forward with, Salumgar's Scorn is just a huge payoff. And then there's the Sacrifice spell, too. That one is escaping my mind. Foul Tongue Invocation. Yes. Thank you, sir. Yeah, gains you four life if you have a dragon in your hand. So that's a nice way to get back ahead, but it is three mana, and that's a really big ask once again for removal spells right now. And the same reason why Crackling Doom hasn't been popular. And But Salumgar's Scorn is huge. That would be the one that I would want to bring to the forefront. What about you, Matt? See, I've kind of been unimpressed with Salumgar's Scorn. Uh, two blue in the mana cost is very real. When I've played Grixis Dragons in the past... That two mana cost in a three-color deck has just been back-breaking. Especially because we do have a reasonable number of two mana cost counters that are usually available if you want to play them. I don't think... I've never been impressed with just a blanket two mana counter spell. Only in that it's double-costed, so it's got two blue. And I, I've never... The blowouts aren't as big as you expect them to be, in, in my experience. Right, absolutely. And I would say if it was really that great, right, you'd be playing other control decks and looking at your counterspell suite and saying, gosh, I wish I had Salumgar's Scorn. And when does that ever happen, right? Yeah. Well, I think the biggest problem with uh, Dragon Control in Frontier, so Grixis, Blue Black, whatever you're going to play for a control deck Actually, or even uh, Esper, right? Because Ojitai used to be this big pull into a control finisher. But yep. the reality is that there's no control deck that's going to out late game a Torrential Gear Hulk uh, Dig Through Time Dirtle. Or a Scarab God at this point. I'd say that's another great finisher. But So before we do that, I do want to talk. I think there is a little more room for like an aggressive mid-range Grixis uh, Dragons deck. Uh, and I think Draconic Roar is a big piece of that. All right, let's turn corner to the other side of the matchup with Goblins. I think Goblins is just another version of Red Deck Wins, and I think there's nothing wrong with that. Red, Deck's win- Red Deck Wins is really strong in Frontier. <laughs> yep, absolutely. Can we look at some of the payoff cards there? So some of the big ones, we've got the Gab- Goblin Rabble Master, we've got Goblin Pile Driver, who used to be a big card, but you know really didn't see any standard play. As well as like Foundry Street Denizen, Reckless Bushwhacker for Reckless the go wide with um, Outburst oh. and Dragon Fodder. So some of these cards we're seeing played in the red aggressive decks, but where's kind of the weakness with the goblins compared to the other red aggressive decks? Yeah, so I look at Reckless Bushwhacker as the goblins version of a Tarka's Command. Mm-hmm. And it is such a beating when it comes down. Like, it really does feel like a Tarkus Command because it's that giant burst forward, right? And it does have haste, and it plays into, like, you want to talk about tribal synergies, you know what I mean? <laughs> Goblins want to hit you in the face. 
and Reckless Bushwhacker helps them do that. So it's like, yeah, I'm I'm way into it. Yeah, I would actually argue that that Reckless Bushwhacker is probably the best goblin card above all the other goblins for sure. Yeah, by a landslide. Maybe Dragon Fodder if you count that. That's certainly a strong one. So as long as we're talking about payoff cards, this is one that could apply to other tribes, but I've only really seen it in goblins if we can touch on Obelisk of Erd. So this is a six-mana artifact with Convoke, which means you can tap creatures you uh, control to pay for it, and it gives all creatures of the chosen type 2 plus 2. I've seen this in some of these goblins decks, pretty much the only place I've seen it. You guys think about this card in goblins and in general in Frontier. Man, I love this card in EDH. <laughs> I play it in my Merfolk deck. That's not usually a compliment. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, as far as Convoke cards go, I want to be able to use them at instant speed. I think that's the major attraction to me with Court of Calling is that you can play it as an instant. And Stoke the Flames. Yeah, Stoke the Flames as well. So I think this card is better than a lot of people give it credit for. I think plus two, plus two across your whole board and being able to turn down the mana cost is a pretty big deal. I think the fact that it dies to a Braid and Colligon's Command and uh, Reclamation Sage means it's it's not... This this card just isn't destined for a T1 deck, but I think it's, it's better than people give it credit for, and I think it could fit into a lot of T2 strategies in the form of Goblins or even Elves, who kind of, like I mentioned earlier are really good at going wide, but don't have a great way to leverage the fact that they go wide. That makes some sense. What do you see as kind of the problem with the Goblins deck? We aren't seeing it as much. I'd like to speak to this one. Yeah. It has the same weaknesses as other red deck wins decks have, right? In that when it runs out of gas, you just lose. Like a well-timed board wipe just means you lose. And the thing about it is... Like, Atarka can at least come back from that, and is more resilient in that respect, but Goblins just loses when that happens. Like, the weaknesses that it has are more exaggerated in the Goblins deck. I don't know what your take on it on it is. I would agree with that, and a big part of that has to do with the payoff cards for raw Goblins that don't tend to make it into Atarka Red. So, in Atarka Red, the big payoff tends to be the the namesake card, Atarka's Command. When you look at goblins, the payoffs tend to be Goblin Rabble Master and Goblin Pile Driver. Both really powerful cards, but cards that tend to have to stick around to generate their value and to really, I guess, hit you in the face. Whereas Atarka's Command just kind of fits into all the cards of the deck and you just, you know, boom, drop it. Uh, bad guy takes a bunch of damage. <laughs> you know, mission accomplished. Whereas, again, with, with Goblin Rabble Master and Goblin Pile Driver, you're really waiting to untap, which makes your deck a lot softer to removal in terms of what your payoff is. So I actually had a different answer than what Sky gave for why Goblins doesn't seem great. And for me, the biggest problem right now is their one drops. I really want to be playing Monastery Swift Spear, and it does not say Goblin Monk, it says Human Monk. So that's a problem yeah. for if you're trying to run it in this deck. That That is a big part of the problem because... Or red deck wins tend to be so heavy on their spells, their their hordling outbursts, their dragon fodder, lightning strike, wild slash, it, wild slash, copter. smuggler's copter. All these things play into prowess so well that it makes it really hard to justify 
just being a goblin deck over a Tarka Red and just having the best goblins in your deck as kind of like an addition to a Tarka Red, you know? Yeah, a Tarka does it faster. At the end of the day, we've got, you're going to a tournament, you're going to either sleeve up goblins or dragons. Is this just kind of saying we're going to sleeve up a bad Tarka Red or a bad blue-black control, or is there something more here? I'm sleeving up goblins. Yeah, I would I would definitely sleeve up the bad Tarka Red. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it turns out bad Tarka Red is not that bad. The next one I have is a who will hold the colorless crown. We've got Constructs and Eldrazi. Now these are both tribal decks we've kind of seen. So the Construct side is, you want to go over what we've seen from Constructs actually happen? Yeah, so I think the big one that we've already talked about is Torrential Gearhulk. In addition, Constructs have Walking Ballista and Hangerback Walker, which are the backbone of Black-Green Scales, which is one of Matt's favorite decks. So did you mean uh, Verterous Gearhulk, the green one? No, I meant Torrential Gear Hulk is a construct. Okay, so I wasn't even yeah. going there. I think I think all the Gear Hulks are right. Yes, they all. Yeah, are. all the Gear Hulks are constructs. But what I was what I was saying there is that Walking Ballista and Hangerback Walker are two of the most powerful creatures we have in our metagame, and it's it's hard to deny how powerful that combination is. Mm-hmm. So I think I think it's a mistake to look for a Gear Hulk as the payoff in a construct deck and i only say this because anthony cameron played a construct deck for a little while at the beginning of the format that was killing people on like turn three it was super fast he's a big reason why i included this i tested around with that deck a little bit too so the other big part there is the metallic mimic actually has a play here along with the three drop the chief of the foundry who's a who gives all of your artifacts plus one, plus one. So between those two, you've got a lot of ways to give plus one, plus one counters and that plus one, plus one to all of them. Yeah, and you just flood the board super quick with uh, Collected Company. Yeah, that's really awesome. I've never played it. I've never seen it played. I've heard him talk about it a little bit, so I feel a little uh, unequipped to possibly talk to the strength of that. Mm-hmm. My feeling is it's it's probably not as good as it used to be because back when he was playing this, Fatal push wasn't a thing. So to have your... Crap, well, I can't remember the the plus one, plus one counter one. Metallic Mimic. Metallic Mimic, yeah. To have, you know, you cast Coco hitting Walking Ballista, Hangerback Walker, and they fatal push your Metallic Mimic in response. That feels bad. That feels really bad. Hmm. Yeah, so you just... Nothing hits the board, you know? All right, so the other side of this that I want to discuss on the colorless coin is the Eldrazi decks. And I'm talking more about kind of the aggressive Eldrazi decks rather than something that's just ramping up into, you know, huge Eldrazi. That's a ramp deck. There's also the other side of it, which is you're going to those Thought Not Seers, the Reality Smashers, and you're running the colorless payoff card. Yeah, so a lot of people have tried the mid-range Eldrazi in our format, right? The Thought Not Seers and the Reality Smashers. What do you think about those, Matt? I think Thought Not falls a little flat when you have to cast it on turn three or four at the earliest, and only turn three if you have Mystic Elves, right? So it's not... In Modern, it has this superpower that you can power them out on wait like early, right? But I think... Yeah, turn two or three. Yeah. yeah, not being able to cast them early really takes some of the fire out of them. I think if I had to put my money on one being really good, it would be Reality Smasher. Right, most definitely. Yeah, I think I think we'd need a second round or a third round now of Eldrazi. Now, this is one that's going to be tough to see more of. We it'd have to be a specific set for them to get Eldrazi again. Yeah, 
And I think that it really speaks to, like, a lot of the tribes that we're talking about are so big, right? And it speaks to what we have in Frontier and what we don't have in Frontier that Modern has, which is early ramp that's very effective. And so there are all these things that we're left with, all these giant derpy creatures that we can't that we can't power out on turns three and four and and those are those are when you want to be closing those are the turns you want to be closing the game out on yeah i think it's amazing how close eldrazi is given that we've only had one or two sets i guess if you want to include the whole block of them well we had a couple in shadows over in but they were usually really expensive that's true and they, they did something very different too which is is relevant so I think I think it does speak to the power level of these cards that I think I think uh Thought Not Seer is a fantastic card. It just has a few weaknesses right now and it's it's not quite it doesn't quite have the punch to f- to fight it out with the rhinos and the gideons, you know. That makes sense. All right. So, okay, here's the question is who's going to get to hold the ghost fire blade? Is it Constructs or Eldrazi? Constructs yeah, probably constructs, but I, that's a soft answer for me. I don't, I don't really know, honestly. I've, I haven't seen enough constructs in action. I, I like Eldrazi. All right, I'm gonna do one more, and this one's just kind of fun. And I know it's something that maybe casual players really like. Warriors. Now, the other one I want to match up against that is spirits. So that's another. Uh, we've kind of seen the tribal pieces come there. It just has never come together as a deck. So spirits versus warriors. Where do we stand? So this is another occasion where I talk about one of my EDH decks. <laughs> <laughs> um, I run Spirits Tribal in EDH, and I'm a huge fan of it. So the problem that I see with it in Frontier is that it's not quite fast enough. However, that combination of Mausoleum Wanderer and Rattle Chains and Spell Queller and Selfless Spirit, these are all powerful cards, and they're flyers. And we recently got... What is it? Favorable Winds? Yes. Which is amazing. And then you get Nebelgast Herald and other, like, sort of fringe, not as frequently played spirits. But the blue-white spirit stick is a real thing. And at the end of... At the end of Collected Company's sort of golden age in Standard, people were starting to attempt to build uh, Spirits Coco and just splashing the green for Collected Company. And I think that... That's a deck that might be worth brewing. However, it's not going to be nearly as fast as Bant Humans. So that's where I'm at on it. I'm a big fan, huge tempo player, and I love the tempo game, but I don't know how effective it is. All right, Matt, why don't you why don't you touch on Spirits and then we'll go over Warriors a bit. So I think I would actually go the opposite way with that. I don't like Bant Spirits at all, but, I, but Spirits basically is a deck in the metagame. We don't see it a lot in the West, but in Japan, it's pretty big. It's Jeskai Flyers. Now, we have seen Jeskai Flyers kind of gravitate away from these spirits, but it's not because these spirits aren't good so much as there there really are two cards that are keeping spirits down, and those cards are Liliana the Last Hope and Walking Ballista. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, outside of those two cards, I think spirits are pretty good. I can see how those cards would keep it down, though, just that being able to do one damage and take out a lot of their creatures hurts a lot. So, Matt, do you think that Favorable Winds is enough to really push Jeskai Flyers ahead? Not at all. And I talked about this when we actually talked about Favorable Winds in the uh, set review podcast. And having tested it a little bit, 
I just I wasn't seeing myself able to flood the board uh, like you can with a lot of other decks that rely on anthems. Uh, you just you're kind of relying on the tempo advantage of the Jeskai Spirits deck more than you are having big a lot of creatures. You know, so I just I often found it was just kind of giving myself card disadvantage to cast it. Because they turn around and double fatal push me off the board. Yep. All right, so let's look at the other side of it, Warriors. So we've got a few cards that are kind of lords for warriors that came out of the cons of Tarkir block. We had the Chief of the Edge and the Chief of the Scale, the 3-2 and the 2-3 that the one adds plus one, plus oh to all of them, one adds plus oh, plus one. The Scale ones, obviously, they're not that great. We also had, though, there was the black two-drop, is a 2-2 that when it attacks gives all your warriors menace. And the three drop, the one white, white, two, two, that has double strike. And when it enters the battlefield or attacks, gives another warrior control double strike. So those are kind of where the power comes from it. And then there's just so many warriors that we could try and stick together to make a deck out of this. I don't know if you guys have brewed with this at all, but I want to know what your thoughts are on warriors. So there are a lot of good warriors, but my problem is that when you put them all together, they don't do anything different or better than any other aggro deck. If you're going to look at mono-white humans, which even uses a lot of the best warrior cards... Yep, absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's kind of like they do the same thing, except warriors does it worse. Yeah, I'm with that. I remember Khan's draft, and if you saw like an early Chief of the Edge or an early Chief of the Scale, warriors was definitely a build-around, and something that was in heavy consideration when you were drafting Khan's. Because it let you be only two colors and maybe a light splash. But I have taken a look at it and, you know, I'm, I'm always kind of drawn to lords because they're a great way to push ahead on your smaller creatures. And I haven't really found myself drawn to them in Frontier. I've tried brewing the deck a couple times and it just never really gets there. Yeah, I feel you there as well. I've tried brewing this, and there's so many cool cards that I want to play. There's a lot of good one-drops, like Blood Soak Champion. There's the um, the Warden of the First Tree ends up as a warrior. And it just, it all comes together, and it just doesn't do much. It's slower than the amount of white humans. I see that as well. And it doesn't have any more reach than that deck does. Yep, most definitely. Yeah, exactly. Right, guys, I'm going to call it here on our uh, tribal last this or that do you want to go with spirits or warriors for building a deck going with spirits yeah i'd probably go spirits too that was that was fun we didn't talk about anything too bad now just one more kind of question out there is if you what deck do you think is almost there that we didn't mention so like if there was one more marrow folklore i'd be playing that deck or something like that where you think it's something just on the edge it needs a really good lord or a really good what drop to get there monks monks <laughs> There are some good monks. There's some good one-drop monks. I could see that. There's Monastery Swift Spear. There's Shuyun. There's M- Monastery Mentor is a really good one. There's the Seeker of the Way. Yeah, there is Seeker of the Way, isn't there? Yeah, so I think about monks every now and then. So we want a Monk Lord? What about you, Matt? What are you waiting for? Nothing, really. I can't think of anything. I'm I'm sure I'll think of it later and I'll be punching myself, but uh, I think we covered the obvious ones. All right, so we did have one other small section we wanted to go over, just that now that we've gotten a little bit of, we've got our UOL League lists out there, we've taken a look at what Ixalan actually has done to the meta, where those new cards have shown up. So I just have some fun stats I kind of wanted to read off, see what you guys thought about these. So looking at the uh, the Untap Open League, Frontier League, we had 36 decks, 
and 13 of those decks actually weren't playing any new Ixalan cards at all. They either didn't get a chance to test with them, they thought their deck was better without them, for whatever reason. So out of those 25 decks left, we had 19 different Ixalan cards seeing play. More of these were in the main deck than in the sideboard, and the one that we had had you guys try and call out, there were more opt-played than there were of the new dual lands. So, in total, mm-hmm. <laughs> so Sky was right mm-hmm. there. Maybe that means that they, they listened to our cast and they did it right there, but that's how it ended up. I actually think it's a mistake to look at this right now and say, this is what this is the effect that Ixalan's had on the meta. I think, yeah, I oh no, absolutely. I think we're going to have a few tournaments before we really know. Uh, especially because yeah. we're looking at a fairly small sample size where, you know, three... Uh, blue-black control decks can bring 11 Frasca's Contempt to the table, you know? Oh yeah, absolutely. So I agree with you there. I think that it is early and really, you know, we're starving for some new data. We're waiting for the next big tournament out of Toronto or out of Japan to kind of give us what... I mean, we don't want to say we're not the spikes, we're not the pros, but well, what they're doing. We want to see what more people are doing. Get a larger sample size than just us. Yeah, it's definitely about sample size. I do have to say, Ixalan's done a lot more than I expected it to. The power level has turned out to be uh, quite a bit higher than than I had anticipated, uh, and then testing with it has has really shown me some new things. So I think I think that's cool. Yeah. All right. So there were quite a few blue black control decks. I'll kind of put that that at the top of here, so you guys aren't thinking, oh, these are in every deck. It's kind of those few decks that had these. But let me go over the total copies of some of the new Ixlon cards. So in those twenty five lists, we saw forty five copies of Opt. Now, I know we were saying this is going to be a big card, but that's how many we had overall. <laughs> so after that, the next most played would be, if we joined all of the dual lands together, I'm going to separate them out. The true second highest played next card was Sorceress Spyglass, 26 copies between the sideboards of these decks. And I would maintain that that's a mistake, and over time we'll see that that number decrease. I agree. Yeah, I think so too. I think I've seen it be impressive, but I don't think it's been. It's not a win-all against certain matchups. It's not a win-all against Sahili Combo. It, it's not number two after opt for me. It's the main <laughs> thing. All right, so number three, Drowned Catacomb. We had 19 copies of that blue-black dual land. And then here's a fun one for Matt here. We had 14 copies of Vraska's Contempt is my number four card here. <laughs> was it 14? I thought it was 11. No, it was 14. So that's coming out of those blue-black control decks. Pretty much just those decks, I think. So for those unaware, um, there's been quite an interesting conversation that sprang out of our set review of Ixalan on Reddit, and it got pretty heated between Matt and a couple of our top cut players from season one about how good Raska's Contempt is. Yeah, so I don't want to go over that, because I know we could talk about that for another 20 minutes. <laughs> I would actually love to touch on that. <laughs> All right, keep... Keep it short here, Matt. All right. Glasses, Mussy, listen up. I'm only going to say this once. Frasca's Contempt is better than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> yes! <laughs> yes. The man steps down. All right. So, all right. But but I, I do want to touch on in that I think it's a necessary evil more than it is a, a great card on its own. I think it enables you to get to your gear hulk dig through time dirtle which is the biggest the, the, the kind of, which is really what makes control tick so i think it's 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 not that it's a fantastic card in its own right i think it's that it supports your end game which is better than everybody else's end game i think that's where i always stood on it with is i don't think it's 
better than Hero's Downfall, obviously, but I think it's a lot better than Never to Return, which it's just a necessity. You have to have it, and it sucks. Yeah, you can hit it with Gearhulk, and that's the most important part of it. All right, so I'm going to keep going through this list. At number five, we had 10 copies of Glacial Fortress. That was the blue-white dual land. At number six, we had 10 copies of Search for Azkanta, which, again, that's probably coming from those blue control lists. At seven, we had nine copies of Spell Pierce, another one that we thought would be big. So and I actually eight... want to jump yeah, in there real quick. Sure. Search for Escanta is way, way better than I gave it credit for, and it should have been oh. in my top five. <laughs> that card, that is, card is very good. Yeah. And the only reason we're only seeing 11 copies is because it's a legendary. Yep, absolutely. It's in so many decks right now. All right, so at seven, we had nine copies of Spell Pierce. At eight, we had seven copies of Shaper Sanctuary, which is another one that we were expecting to be strong. At nine, we saw five copies of Field of Ruin. So that's that land that plays kind of like Ghost Quarter, but it gives a land to both players and costs two to use. Um, at number 10, we had a few copies. Of, we had four copies of Siren Storm Tamer between two decks, four copies of Ripjaw Raptor in one deck, four copies of Merfolk Branchwalker in one deck. That's the two one that explores <laughs> what it enters. Whose deck was that, man? Oh, <laughs> uh, yes, that was mine. <laughs> I, was the, I was the one big on that card. We also saw four copies of Deep Root Champion, the one one folk, kind of the super prowess. The last ones, they're all that two or one. We saw a couple copies of Death Gord Scavenger between two decks. We saw two of the Green White Duel. We saw two of the Ruin Raider, which we expected to be good. Two of Ashes of the Aberrant, which we didn't talk about, but it's kind of a new hate card. Stops players from playing creatures from their graveyard. Gives you life when a creature dies. We also saw two copies of Carnage Tyrant out there to beat up on those control decks we've seen. And one person with one copy of Treasure Map. That's the last one there. So 19 different cards of just a, you know, it's an early, it's an, it's like looking at an early tournament from the format. People are trying out some new things. And this is some of the cards that they tried. I think that's well said on what kind of insight this data provides. It's just, hey, this is what paper, people were eager to try. And I think a lot of people were really eager to try Sorcerer's Spyglass, so I'm not surprised it's number two, but I think that number will diminish. Yeah, absolutely. As this has been a lot of fun, I'm going to start to move us to the outro of our podcast. Just um, talking about some personal topics I know that we wanted to bring up. Sky's Band just released a new CD. He's going to be touring soon. If you want to say something short about that. And also, uh, we've had some fun things going on in Matt's life, which is why we didn't have him last week. Yeah, absolutely. So everyone, my band Dreadnought just released an album, Awaken Sacred Waves. It's really good. People are calling it the highlight of our career so far. And uh, it's available on Bandcamp. We'll have that linked in the show notes. And yeah, so I'm going to be absent from the next couple episodes because I'm going to be touring for that album and we're going to the West Coast. So if you want to support, you can take a look at our social media and I'll be sharing all of that stuff and you can uh, you can come support your podcast host in his primary endeavor in life, which is my music. So All right, Matt. So over the weekend, my dad actually got married and uh I got to be co-best man, me along with my brother, and I, I've got to say, it was definitely the highlight of my career as a son. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it was, it was a really good time. It was a great ceremony. It was a lot of responsibility. I can't believe how much work and time it consumed in the weeks leading up to it. So that that was definitely a shock to me. All right, so that's just a bit going on in our personal lives. So wrapping up for today... We also we want to mention any current events going on, so we want to call out that we're excited about the end of Worlds just happened before we recorded this podcast. That's exciting for us. It's exciting for anyone who follows Standard or Draft. It was a, it was a 
great tournament. Fantastic. Um, we also want to mention we're looking forward to these Explorers of Ixalan coming out. We're starting to see some of the cards that are going to be reprinted there. Didn't have much effect on Frontier, but it's something interesting going on in Magic right now. But anyways, uh, we're going to be wrapping up for this week. Let us know if there's any new other topics you want us to cover, and also try and join us weekly. We've been doing live streams on Tuesdays of the Untap Open League matches, so that's a great way to see some Frontier being played if you aren't getting to see it yourself. We're on a go.twitch.tv slash mtg underscore final underscore Frontier. We're also on YouTube, which you can see the VODs if you don't catch them live. Uh, for our other contact, make sure to tweet us out at, at MTG Frontier. You can find us MTG underscore Frontier on Instagram. And it's also great to go to our Reddit, which is the r slash MTG Final Frontier. From there, you can find links to our Discord. You can contact us personally. You know, we're fun to talk to. We usually go back and forth with anyone who's listening to the show, has any points. All right, guys, you want to call out to anything before we end the show today? Thanks for tuning in, everyone. I'm Kevin Hanley. And I'm Matt Murray. It's been a blast. Hey, this was a great one. I'm Kevin Finkel, and as always, for everyone out there, we look forward to being your go-to source for frontier information online, your final frontier. Signing off. <laughs>